So today we need to define the relationship. Have you ever had those kind of DTR discussions, maybe with someone that you were dating, or maybe long ago with your spouse, even before it was called a DTR discussion, talking about what is this relationship, this, this romantic relationship, this friendship, what is this relationship going to look like in the future? This morning, we need to define the relationship as it relates to our relationship with God. You've probably heard it said that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. In some ways, that is true, but in other ways, that can be a very dangerous statement. Because God does intend that we have a relationship with him. That is something that God desires. He wants us to relate to him. But at the same time, that phrase, a relationship with Jesus, is often just a cliche that people will say as an excuse for them to not really follow Jesus, obey Jesus, or submit to Christ as Lord. So if we're going to talk about Christianity being a relationship, we have to properly define that relationship. We have to talk about what it actually means to have a relationship with Jesus according to God's word. So turn with me to John chapter 15, where Jesus is going to explain to his disciples how they can continue to have a relationship with him. This is going to be a DTR discussion that Jesus is going to have in John 15 in the upper room where he has taken Last Supper with his disciples before he is to be crucified. We're going to be looking this morning at John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. As you're turning there to John 15, verses 4 and 5, recognize that this teaching that Jesus is giving are in some ways his last words to his disciples. He's going to speak to them again after his resurrection, but this culminates into what is essentially the final lesson that Jesus wants to give to his 12 followers after a three-year seminar of them following him and staying with him and living with him and learning from him during his earthly ministry. Jesus is about to depart. He's about to be crucified and then later resurrected and ascended back into heaven. He is going to be going away from his disciples. So now that their earthly relationship is coming to an end, the question is, how are the disciples meant to continue a relationship with Jesus after he is physically gone from them? And we find ourselves in the same situation. If we are called to be disciples, just like the 12 apostles were called to be disciples, but if we don't have Jesus physically present before us, how can we have a relationship with Jesus when he is in heaven and not yet back on earth? Well, that answer is going to be given in John 15. Because Jesus is going to explain to them how they can continue to relate to him even after he is physically gone. Jesus says this in verse 4 of John chapter 15. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch could not bear fruit by itself 
unless it abides in the, in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The big idea for this morning's passage is given plainly by Jesus. The key to an authentic relationship with Jesus, an authentic Christianity, is one that is abiding in Christ. That's your big idea for this morning. Authentic Christians are those who abide in Christ. If you say that your Christianity is a relationship and not a religion, it must mean that you are doing this. If you claim to have a relationship with Christ, yet you are not relating to him by abiding in him, then you don't really have a relationship with Christ. You have a relationship with yourself, and you're using the name of Jesus to give excuses for what you want to do for yourself. The question, though, would be, if Jesus is telling his disciples that he's about to leave, that the way that they continue to have a relationship with him is by abiding in him, the question is, what does the word abiding mean? What does it mean to abide? The word abide means to dwell. It means to remain, to, to stay at a place. The vast majority of the times where this word for abide occurs in the New Testament, it is almost always referring to people staying at someone's house or staying in a certain town, or staying in a certain region. The word abide describes both something spatially and chronologically. The word abide means that you are existing or you are dwelling in a specific place, but it also means that you are dwelling in a specific place, not for a moment, but for a continued period of time. The disciples were able to literally abide with Jesus during his three-year ministry. When he would go up to Galilee, they would go up to Galilee. When he would go down to Jerusalem, they would go down to Jerusalem. When he would stay in Capernaum, they would stay in Capernaum. All of those words used to describe what the disciples were doing with Jesus is the same word for abide. So the amazing thing is that as Jesus is about to leave them, they're not going to have the chance to physically abide with Christ. But his instructions for them and how to have a relationship, how to continue to be his disciples, is to continue doing what they've been doing for the past three years. To continue spending time with him. To continue being present with him and learning from him and hearing him teach and speaking to him and fellowshipping with him. That's what abide means. And that's what all Christians are called to do in an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. They are called to dwell with Christ, not just at a moment, but for a continual period of time throughout their life. Authentic Christianity looks like a life that is dwelling with Christ. 
And the question is, is are you dwelling with Christ today? As you look back over 2023, you, I am assuming, have considered yourself a Christian that entire year. Has that year been characterized by you spending time with Jesus? By you dwelling with Jesus? By you abiding with Jesus? If Jesus was physically present here on earth in 2023, how close would you have been to him? How often would you have heard him teach? How often would you have spoken to him? How often would you have fellowshiped with him this past year? Authentic Christianity is a life that is abiding in Christ. So as we look to 2024, I want 2024 for Graham Emanuel Baptist Church. I want 2024 for Pastor Stephen and for each and every one of you I want this upcoming year to be a year of abiding in Christ. I want us 365 days from now to look back on this previous year and say, this was a year where we all learned as a church family how to dwell with Christ, how to have an authentic relationship with Jesus that isn't like the cliches and the words and the phrases that we hear everyone else say, but is authentic and produces growth and change, and love in us, and intimacy with our Creator who lived and died for us. That's what I want 2024 to be. So now, for the rest of our time this morning, we have to look at God's Word and see how God's Word defines how specifically Christians can abide in Christ. If we are going to be called in 2024 to dwell with Christ, to spend time with him, to abide and to remain with him, what does that actually look like? What does that look like at your home? What does that look like at your workplace? What does that look like in your daily schedule on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Friday evenings outside of church? What does it practically look like to abide in Christ that will be the focus of the remainder of our message this morning. And this will not be based on what Stephen thinks abiding looks like. This will be based on what God declares abiding looks like. So let's look at the first point. The first thing that we have to know and totally understand when it comes to abiding in Christ is that first and foremost, abiding in Christ looks like a repeated posture of faith. What abiding in Christ doesn't look like is a repayment of God's salvation through good deeds. That is not what abiding is, de is describing. Abiding in Christ is not simply trying to keep a laundry list of good deeds in order to please God and feel like you have a relationship with him. It's easy for us to think that anytime we offer obedience to God, that that is just inherently something that is pleasing to him. Cain, in the book of Genesis, he offered an offering to God. He offered fruit to the Lord. And God liked fruit. God liked offerings that consisted of grain and consisted of produce. We see in the Levitical law, God even commanded his people to give the fruit, the, the, the harvest of what they have grown. Yet God rejected Cain's offering. Not because of the content of Cain's offering, but because Hebrews 11 tells us that Cain did not offer his offering in faith. He did not have a faith in God that fueled his obedience. In the same way, there are too many Christians 
who try to offer their obedience to God without having any faith in God. Without having any desire to abide in Christ, they simply try to keep a list of a few of what they think are the most important good deeds that will make God happy, and they offer them to the Lord. That is not the same as abiding in Christ. Having a relationship with Christ looks like a daily walk of faith, a daily attitude of faith, a posture of faith that recognizes that in Christ, if we have been born again, if we have repented of our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ as the substitute for us on the cross to receive the punishment for the sin that we deserved and put our trust in that in faith, if we have done that, then that means that we have died to our old selves. That's what Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says. It says that we are called to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Furthermore, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul talks about how he has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This all points to what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where it reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Those things that we offer to God, that obedience that we try to give if we're not abiding in Jesus Christ, not only is it not real fruit of obedience that we're offering him, God describes it in Philippians chapter 3 as not fruit, but filthy rags. Because the things that we give to the Lord are only those things that God produces in us. Going back to John chapter 15, that's what the word bear means. When Jesus says that the, that the branch bears fruit by abiding or by being connected to the vine, it's not saying that the branch produces the fruit, The word that is used is that the branch carries the fruit, that it displays the fruit. In the same way, obedience is displayed in our life when we are living a daily life that is choosing to abide in Christ by faith that looks like daily reminding of ourselves that in Christ we are now dead to sin, so we're free from the temptation and the slavery to commit sin, And also that we have been resurrected with Christ. That we are now new creatures because we have shared in Christ's resurrection. That daily meditation, that that daily reminding of oneself, that daily reckoning is the way that the King James Bible describes it. That is faith. And that is abiding in Christ. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, one of my favorite verses of all time. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, and the power of his resurrection, being made like him in his death. Notice how when Paul says he wants to know Christ, he describes knowing Christ by sharing in Christ's death and sharing in the power of Christ's resurrection. Because he understood that abiding in Christ was first and foremost not just a laundry list of actions that were done for Jesus, but it is a fellowship with Jesus that is sharing and reminding ourselves that we have shared in his death and resurrection. That is the first key to abiding in Christ. It starts with faith. Everything else that we're going to say for the rest of this morning 
could technically just be a legalistic work if it is not an outflow of a heart that is desiring to know Christ, to fellowship with him, and is recognizing that the only reason why we can do any of these things is because we have died to sin in Jesus Christ and we have been raised to new life. Everything that we say for the rest of this morning is precipitated, is based on a life of faith in Christ. The second point, what it looks like practically to abide in Christ, is that abiding in Christ looks like consistent time in Scripture. We've said this before, but your view of Christ is reflected in your view of God's Word. If God's Word is not all that important to you, that reveals a heart that believes that Christ is not all that important to you. If you believe that God's Word is something that can be changed or molded to fit your own desires, that reflects a heart that sees Jesus as the same way. That kind of heirloom figurine Jesus that we talked about last week, this person that we can mold to suit our own desires. It is impossible to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is abiding in him that is not consistently spending time in God's word. One of the key arguments against this is that in the time of the Bible, in ancient time, for most of history actually, people did not have access to God's word in printed form. And that is true, that most people, individuals, did not have access to God's word in printed form. But that does not mean that they did not have access to God's word. And it also doesn't mean that their access to God's word did not deny them the opportunity to remember and to meditate and to spend time with God in his word. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. As you're turning to Joshua, let me just say that you've probably noticed over this past year that the main passage that we look at on a given Sunday, we're not putting on the screen anymore. That if I'm preaching on John chapter 15 verses 4 and 5, you're not going to see me put that on the screen The key reason for that is because we want to be a church of people who are bringing their Bibles. Or at least we are a church that we have a dedicated Bible app on our phone that we're using consistently that has our own notes, our own comments, our own markings in it that we are using. That's why we don't put it on the screen, because we want to encourage us as a church family to abide in Christ by using our personal copy of the Word that we have been privileged have. Because in Joshua chapter 1, we're reminded of the fact that God's people didn't always have that privilege. That the way that they received God's word was not being able to just pick up their own copy of the Bible and read it, but to hear it from their leaders, to hear it from Moses, to hear it from Joshua. And as God's people are getting ready to cross the Jordan into the promised land, as they're getting ready to fight enemies and to conquest and have battles to take this land that God has promised to them, you can imagine the the fear that they had. You can imagine the trepidation that God's people experienced. But look at what Joshua says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do, to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. 
It's an amazing reminder that even though people didn't have a written copy of God's word, they were still called to meditate on God's word. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we actually see a practical example of how this is taught, that God teaches his people. This is called the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word that means hear, because it starts out by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. But look at this next part. And the words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. God intended for his people to be constantly repeating and thinking upon and sharing his word. Not just when they physically had God's word open in front of them or being read to them, but when they were experiencing daily life, both individually and with their families and in their communities. The amazing thing about Joshua is that when God through Joshua tells his people to meditate on his word, remember the verse that comes right before that. Right before verse 8, we see verses 6 and 7. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. That's one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Isn't it amazing that the command, be strong and courageous, God gave not in reference to them fighting their enemies in the promised land. That was going to be easy. God was going to provide that. His command to be strong and courageous was in their meditating on God's word. They're adhering to the word of God. A year ago, after I had been voted in as, as senior pastor of this church, I announced it on social media, and I specifically shared this passage. That was my prayer request publicly on, on social media. I, I asked specifically that we would be a church and that I specifically would be a pastor that would be strong and courageous, specifically to God's Word. I knew that the upcoming days at the church were going to require a lot of strength and courage. But most of all, I knew that it was going to require a strength and courage for us to say, this is what God's Word says. Nothing else matters. doesn't matter what that church says. doesn't matter what that pastor says. doesn't matter what those people say. This is what God says. That takes courage. It's going to require more courage in the years ahead here in Western Washington because less people who are calling themselves Christians, less people who say they are abiding in Christ have the strength and courage to say, I am going to abide with Christ in his word alone. Sola Scriptura. That is what God calls us to. If you want a relationship with Jesus, spend time in his word. Psalms 1, Psalm 1 describes spending time in God's word as a tree that is firmly planted. We see all throughout the Old Testament examples where God's people are gathered at crucial moments in order to hear God's word and to be strengthened by it. And so too, we today, we are called to spend time with Jesus by spending time in his word. Don't worry so much about the quality time. Focus more on the quantity time. 
What I mean by that is don't feel like in order to read God's Word, you have to understand everything all the time. You won't. You can't. I don't. I can't. But keep reading. Keep picking up every day. And if you miss a day, that's okay. Just read today. If you miss a week, don't feel like, oh, i got to read 20 chapters in order to catch up. Just read what you have scheduled for today. You'll see in the, um, on the info counter in the foyer, we actually have for the upcoming year a Bible reading schedule that you can pick up. This is a gift from the church to you. I wrote this and designed it. You can use this on behalf of Grandma Emanuel Baptist Church to read through the Old Testament in the year and the New Testament twice in a year. Let's now look at point two. Abiding in Christ looks like consistent time in Scripture. Uh, I'm sorry, consistent time uh, in prayer. Point number three. Abiding in Christ looks like persistent time in prayer. I've actually come across many Christians who love God's Word. They love to read God's Word. They love to learn from God's Word. I have met far fewer Christians who love to pray. Imagine how your marriage would suffer if you were always just hearing from the other person and never speaking to the other person. Imagine if there was always letters and phone calls and FaceTimes where you got to hear from the person you loved, but you never actually responded to the person you loved. How would that person think about your love? They would actually assume that you don't love they would probably stop writing the letters and stop making the phone calls because you're not responding. Imagine people who are hearing from God in his word, who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who want to abide in Jesus Christ, yet they are not a people that are praying. God says in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 4, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, he gives plenty of examples talking about how his people are meant to be praying, and not just praying momentarily, but praying consistently. Let's put up that slide, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, what God says. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Pray without ceasing. Many people don't know how to pray because they don't know what to pray. They don't know what words to say. They have falsely believed that praying means that you have to be eloquent. And just like Moses, they tell God that they can't obey him because, well, they don't talk no good. And what does God say in response? Who made man's mouth? Who made man's mouth? It's God who made your ability to speak. God's the one who created you. Speak back to him. Confess sin to him. Share your heart with him. The best way to have a consistent life that is praying is to have a consistent time of reading God's Word and then responding to what you've read in prayer. Use God's Word as the words that He is supplying you to pray back to Him. Read Psalm 23, and when Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, respond with prayer. Say, Lord, thank you for being my shepherd. When Psalm 23 says, I shall not want, say, Lord, thank you for the ways that you have provided for me. Thank you for the ways that I have not been in want. Use God's word as the script of your prayer life. And you will find that your relationship with Christ grows because you're not just hearing from him, you're speaking back to him. 
And then finally, point four, the the final practical that abiding in Christ looks like in the Christian life. This one has been attacked in recent years. Is prioritized time with Christians. The time that you prioritize your kids to is what you are evangelizing your kids to. If you prioritize sports for your kids, you are evangelizing your kids to sports. If you prioritize screen time, if you let that dominate what your kids are doing, you are evangelizing them to whatever they are receiving on the screens that they are watching. And same in your heart, the thing that dominates your time, the thing that dominates who you spend your time with, that reveals where your heart is. That reveals who your God is. If you want to spend time with Jesus, spend time with the body of Jesus. That's the church. That's this. Look around. This is the body of Christ. You may think, really, does it have to be the body of Christ, Pastor Stephen? It is the body of Christ because when God looks down, he sees the body of Christ based on God's grace on us, based on Christ's righteousness covering us. We may see each other in all of our faults, but God sees us and he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. We should look at each other and see the same and treat each other in the same way. And we should be zealous for spending time with the body of Christ. We should be zealous for bringing our family to church, for worshiping alongside believers, for studying God's word alongside other believers. If you want to have fellowship and friendship with Christ, have fellowship and friendship with Christians at church on Sunday. That's what that practically looks like. And we see so many examples of that. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, after Jesus ascended, it says that the apostles devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the teaching of Scripture. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and praying and reading God's Word. They devoted themselves to church. Don't diminish that. And whenever your view of church goes down, that reflects a heart of a view of Christ that goes down. If you say, well, church isn't really necessary, that reveals a heart that believes that Christ isn't really necessary because the church is the body of Christ. And that's why if you're just attending Graham Emanuel Baptist Church on Sundays, we encourage you to take those steps to actually become a member of the body of Christ. Yes, through the process of membership, that can help, but most of all, through taking part in fellowship here at the church, joining one of the Bible studies, joining one of the home groups, reading together and praying together, and essentially abiding in Christ together as a community. That pleases God. That makes God look good. It is honoring to him. And it also helps us abide in Christ. So as we look forward to the upcoming year, Again, I want this year to be marked by us as a church choosing to abide in Christ, dwelling with him. And let's do that by being a church that is spending time with Christ in his word, spending time with Christ in prayer, and spending time with Christ with other Christians, not of our own works, but completely by faith in God's grace. Pray with me.